Hi, and welcome back to Hello from the Other Side. I am a glowing green orb traveling through time and space. Haloy. So it's just me this week because this topic makes Nick uncomfortable, and like most everything else we talk about, he doesn't believe in it. This week's topic is past life channeling. I'm a believer in past lives and reincarnation. Even as a kid, I could remember one of my last incarnations and how I died. On the opposite end, Nick believes that we each have one life, and it's unclear to me if he believes in an afterlife. In episode 6, titled Halloween Season Begins, The Ghosts of Homicide Victims in Kentucky, Nick explains his belief of soul sleep, which he asserts is a state of consciousness that happens when we die. It's really like a lack of consciousness. I love that we have different belief systems because it keeps this podcast extra spicy. And I feel honored that he wants to spend his one lifetime helping me with this paranormal podcast that I love. So a little about me, and I've touched on this before. I'm a UC Tibetan Reiki master. I've also been attuned to Karuna Reiki level one and two. After my first Reiki attunement, I felt my intuitive abilities open up vastly. When I give Reiki to clients, I can use my clairvoyance and clairaudience to see and hear their past lives. I was surprised to channel past life information because my Reiki master Amanda told me that this gift is super rare. I know her Reiki master Joan specializes in past life work, and I hope to study under Joan next. I was not expecting it, and I'm thrilled every single time it happens. I have one more attunement until I can teach others how to do Tibetan Reiki, and I can learn to attune them, and it's the most incredible energy I've experienced. I'm so excited to have students and be able to teach them the stuff that I know and to like heal themselves and help channel healing energy to others. I think that would be like super fulfilling. Lastly, I've begun to write a book to teach people how to channel their past lives because personally, I believe that anyone can learn how to do it. Each of us possess innate intuitive abilities and like any other ability, we can enhance them through practice. We'll get into this episode, but first, obviously, I got to plug myself. I've been taking away the ads because I hate listening to podcasts, and I feel like even when I close my eyes at night, I see advertisements. But I have to do a little self-promotion because this is the ideal platform. If you would like to book a past life channeling session or a Reiki healing session with me, you may email me at haloyreiki at gmail.com. That's H-A-L-O-Y-R-E-I-K-I at gmail.com. I'm super affordable. Currently, I'm finishing up my website for Reiki and channeling, and that website will offer packages plus the ability to book me online for a distance or not in-person session. A distance session is like a session that I can do to anyone around the world. We don't have to be in person for everything, and it has just as much impact to do distance session versus an in-person session. Since I work full-time, scheduling in-person Reiki healing sessions is challenging. I am available to take in-person clients around Louisville, Kentucky in an office two Sundays a month. My Reiki master, Amanda, is super cool and is allowing me to rent out her space on Sundays. I think two Sundays a month in-person is all I can handle right now since I work 48 hours and make art on top of that. Speaking of art, I am working on a piece to showcase in the Speed Art Museum here, which is like one of the biggest museums in Kentucky. I'm really excited about it. I've been taking this mixed media art of identity course with Sarah Nori, who's the instructor, and we all get to showcase our pieces 
at the Speed After Hours. I think it's on April 17th. They're talking about having the artworks of the students stay for up to 60 days, so I hope that happens, but you might see one of my art pieces in there if you go after April 17th. So I'm really excited. The deadline for that is in like two weeks to finish this art project, so no telling when I'll get this episode out. But today is March 6th, for the record. Let's kick off episode 10 with an example of a past life that I channeled. Throughout the episode, I will share more info and past lives that my guides have shown me. So this first past life that I'm sharing is an incarnation that I channeled of Nick and I, who's the co-host of this podcast, sometimes. And we were monks in this lifetime. Since I met Nick, I felt like we had known one another before. I'm convinced that we found each other again in this lifetime. He, on the other hand, does not believe in reincarnation, which is cool, because he keeps this spicy. With his permission, I'm sharing this lifetime I saw of us. I was doing a self-reiki session, lying in my bed one afternoon. I called in my causal spirit guides, reiki guides, ascended reiki masters, my angels, and most importantly, Jesus and God. I asked to see a lifetime in which I knew Nick. I focused on my breath, and starting with my head, I did the hand positions for a typical self-reiki session. I channeled a lifetime in which we were monks. We were both men in that lifetime, and we were best friends. We were clad in brown, long-sleeve robes with yellowish, rope-like sashes at our waist. We were both brunettes, and the top of our heads were bald. I saw the two of us walking around on the monastery grounds, enjoying the weather. The Gothic architecture looked centuries old, perhaps the late 1400s or early 1500s. The stone buildings featured towering, ornate spires. Each doorway tapered into a pointed arch. Every building looked like a piece of art, and the medium was primarily stone, wood, with colorful stained glass windows. There were very tall stone walls surrounding the monastery. Outside, the grass was short and light green. Stone paths led to the most prominent building and the smaller buildings behind the cathedral that felt like living quarters. Inside the buildings we ate and worshipped were tall, rib-vaulted ceilings. The curved lines of the rib-vaulting were breathtaking to look up at and were a distraction to me. In another memory, I was shown us playing instruments together. My guides told me that we played whatever instruments we could get our hands on. I saw us playing an Irish harp, which was smaller, with metal strings instead of catgut strings. I played the harp, and I had long fingernails, making the strings resonate louder. Sometimes we read music on paper, other times we played for memory. The two of us played outside in the sunshine, often for entertainment. Nick played this smaller, upright, guitar-looking instrument. It looked like a lute, or some early form of lute. We would switch musical instruments and take turns. It's worth noting that Nick and I are both multi-instrumentalists in this incarnation, and we still switched instruments when we jammed together. <laughs> also, we have band practice every Monday, and I love it. <laughs> Next, my guide showed me a black and white dog and a cat, the monastery pets. The animals were ours because our bond was so strong. They followed us around. I saw the cat and dog sitting in the grass next to us while we were playing instruments. Sometimes my guides show me little glimpses of things to give me an overall sense of that incarnation. Most always, they show me moments of significance that are frequently traumatic. 
Of the glimpses of day-to-day life, I saw us eating together out of wooden bowls at wooden tables underneath rib-vaulted stone ceilings. These rooms were shaped like long rectangles. I saw us hunched over in different rooms with low ceilings, writing on wooden desks with ink. It looked like we were meticulously copying a religious text. Profoundly bored with this task, I created drawings on the margins and tried to embellish the font because I became bored with rewriting the same thing all the time. Every day. Today, I couldn't understand the language I saw us writing. It didn't look like English, but it was difficult to tell because it was handwritten. It may have been Hebrew or Greek. Or Old English, I'm not really sure. But if I had to guess, I would guess Hebrew. Also, I've seen a lot of ancient Hebrew because Nick is getting a doctorate in the Old Testament and he had to learn how to read ancient Hebrew and ancient Greek so he could translate how the Bible was written in the original language. He's kind of insane for wanting to study that, but I think part of the reason he wants to study that is because of this incarnation. But I haven't told him that. (laughs) Next, they show me a traumatic moment, a turning point that impacted our lives. I saw a fire break out, but the fire did not start in the buildings. A group of livid, armed people started the fire. I couldn't see them over the tall stone borders outside the monastery walls, but I could hear them shouting in the grunts of their horses. They were throwing and launching flaming weighted objects over the borders into the buildings to set them ablaze. I saw everything go up in flames and monks and people running around in a panic. We had no fire hoses, so we could do nothing to save the building. Instead, our efforts were to evacuate the others and the animals. Outside, we all watched the place we loved and called home burn. I cried and felt an enormous loss. Overcome with a feeling of powerlessness to save the monastery. The soul that is Nick today comforted me in that lifetime and made sure we were all safe. In the next memory my guide showed me, I saw the smoldering remains of the building. They were black and gray and smoking. We were sorting through the pieces of it. Eventually, I saw workers reconstructing the largest stone building that seemed like the church, but the reconstruction was smaller than the original massive building. The final moment I saw of that lifetime was the most upsetting. My guide showed me Nick and I outside in the cold with blankets. I was sitting with my back against a stone wall. I knew we were cast out of the monastery buildings because whatever Nick had was contagious. And deadly. I also sensed that they blamed him for getting sick. The other monks thought I was insane for staying outside and taking care of him because if I caught this illness, I would have to take care of myself outdoors alone. And I wouldn't be allowed back inside until they determined I was no longer contagious or cured. Nick, or the person that was Nick in that incarnation, was dying in my arms. We were outside in the grass. He had a thin blanket over him. His head was in my lap and I was trying to keep him warm. Next to me, I had a bowl of water and a rag. I kept dampening the rag and wiping his forehead and face. I also had some water and food for him. The food looked like a bowl of soup with a piece of bread. 
I felt the struggle of trying to get him to eat and drink. I sensed that Nick accepted he was dying. However, I didn't want to admit that, and I kept talking to him as if he would pass this illness and get better. Not so deep down, I knew the truth. The soul that was Nick in that incarnation was sweaty. He coughed so much that his voice was starting to become hoarse. He coughed up blood, and I used a rag to wipe it from his mouth. He thanked me and made a joke about what a fun time we were having. I offered him more water, and he said no thank you. He had pinkish lesions on his body, like a raised rash or small blisters. He was shivering with a fever, and the cold weather didn't help. There was no snow on the ground, so I'm guessing it was spring or early summer. I tried to tuck his covers around him and put my body closer to him to warm him up. I rubbed the top of his head. He looked up at me, and his eyes were bloodshot, and blood was coming out of the inner corner of his eyes. Maybe from coughing so hard? I wasn't sure why. He looked up into my eyes, and he asked me, Why are you out here with me? I said, Because you're my best friend, and I want you to get better. He said, Aren't you worried you will get sick? I said, Oh, I don't care about that. And I smiled at him with a worried look on my face. I continued, Even if I get sick, I don't care. I paused, finally admitting the truth. Besides, don't you know how boring this place is going to be without you? He laughed and said something that indicated he was dying now, and he thanked me for being there with him. He told me how much it meant that I was there for him. Then I started to cry, holding his head and his head. He died in my arms looking up at me. Then his gaze tilted off to the side, to the sky behind my head. I saw the sun finally come out. Then I was sitting there crying, holding my dead best friend, and accepting that I would likely face the same fate. Outdoors. Alone. Before finishing that session, I sent Reiki to my monk incarnation to heal it. I sent more Reiki into my body in the present because it hurt to remember the feeling of loss. In tears, I sealed the healing from that session, and I anchored my feet. It was really, really hard remembering that. And I've honestly been scared to channel more information about that lifetime, because I just cried. For like 20 minutes, I cried after that Reiki session. Also, when I told Nick about it, he has no remembrance of that, and also doesn't believe in past lives. So then I cried again. I'm like, I was there for you doing like one of the hardest times, and you don't even remember it, but it's cool. And then I just cried. <laughs> But I get it, I don't expect him to believe everything I believe, and I think it would be really boring if he did. Like I said, I like the spiciness. But there are a lot of overlap between how we're best friends in this lifetime, and we play music together, and he's still studying ancient Hebrew. He has a master's degree in divinity, so basically a master's degree in the Bible, and right now he's working on a doctorate in the Old Testament, so he's still fully obsessed with the Bible, and I love that. He has his own podcast that I'll plug called Old Testament Studies, A Modern Unacademic Guide. And it's available on Spotify or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. 
I don't know if you guys can hear my dog snoring in the background. I put the heated blanket on a low setting on the couch and she's feeling it. So here's some info on what I think Nick died of. I mentioned what I channeled during an art night that I attend a few weeks later. My friend Kendall, who completed a BA honors in history, said that Nick likely died from sweating sickness. They told me about the different kings and leaders who waged war against monasteries and burned them down in like the late 1400s and 1500s. I'd never heard of sweating sickness, so I did some research on it for this episode. I'll read the entry from Encyclopedia Britannica titled Sweating Sickness. It is known as the English sweating sickness or the English sweat. Sweating sickness is, quote, a disease of unknown cause that appeared in England as an epidemic on five occasions. In 1495, 1508, 1517, 1528, and 1551. It was confined to England except in 1528 through 29. When it spread to the European continent, appearing in Hamburg and passing northward toward Scandinavia and eastward toward Lithuania, Poland, and Russia, the Netherlands was also involved, with the exception of Calais, which is a French trading port. End quote. It continues, quote, The disease did not spread to France or Italy. End quote. So that narrows down the memory I saw to 1528 to 1529 if Kendall is correct that Nick died of sweating sickness. Also, when I asked my guides during the session where this lifetime took place, they told me Edinburgh, or like Edinburgh. It was spelled differently than what I think of. So I don't know if that was in Scotland or what. I'd never heard of Edinburgh when they said that. They spelled it for me, and I wish everyone would have wrote it down at the time, and I didn't. So I will continue with more info on the English sweats. So, if this is correct, it also depends on the records of this endemic. At the time, two main historical records of the English sweats come from two physicians who briefly wrote about the outbreak, John Caius and Thomas Forrester. They treated patients who had the English sweating sickness, and they documented their observations. That's it. Nobody really recorded a bunch of stuff about it, and if they did record it, it was lost. The Britannica article continues, quote, Apart from the second outbreak, all the epidemics were severe, with a very high mortality rate. The disease was documented by physician John Caius, who was practicing in Shrewsbury in 1551 when an outbreak of the sweating sickness occurred. His account, a boat council against the disease commonly known as the sweat or the sweating sickness, 1592, is the main historical source of knowledge of the extraordinary disease. The illness began with rigors, headache, giddiness, with severe prostration. After one to three hours, violent, drenching sweat came on, accompanied by severe headache, delirium, and rapid pulse. Death might occur from three to 18 hours after the first onset of symptoms. If the patient survived for 24 hours, recovery was usually complete. Occasionally, there was a vesicular rash, end quote, which would explain the red raised rash and lesions that I saw across Nick's face and body. There are a few more paragraphs available online if you'd like to learn about sweating sickness. The entry ends by stating contemporary scholars have suggested a hantavirus 
infection caused the illness. End quote. Hantaviruses are rodent-borne viruses. They can be caused commonly by rats or fleas on rats and bats. There's a couple other little critters like mice that could also cause them. So if it was rodent-borne, and we still don't know what truly causes it, that's just one guess. There's also another guess that it's food-borne. It makes sense that Nick caught it at the monastery because it was commonplace to store large quantities of food at monasteries, which would attract rats and other pests. If it spread with their infected droppings, which monks may have come into contact with at higher rates since there was all that food around. Also to like pay taxes, since monasteries didn't make a lot of money, they were allowed to pay taxes with food. So that was part of the reason they stored grains there. But that's everything I know about sweating sickness. I just thought it was worth looking into to figure out what I saw. Because when I channeled that, I was like, it doesn't look like the plague. I don't really even know if the plague was a thing in the 1500s or late 1400s. So it was interesting. But most of the things I saw about sweating sickness was that people could be completely fine in the morning and dead by the evening. That's why everybody was freaked out. I also saw estimates of the mortality rate being between 45 and 50%. All right, let's keep going. So what is past life channeling? Circling back to clarify, my intention with this episode is not to sound preachy or like I'm trying to convert people. I just want to share my beliefs and a gift that I believe is God-given. First, I'll define Reiki so I can clearly define past life channeling. Reiki is an energy healing technique based on the principle that the Reiki practitioner can channel energy into the client through touch or beaming to activate the natural healing processes of the client's body. Reiki can help restore physical and emotional well-being. It eliminates bad energy by adding in good healing energy. Reiki is a complementary therapy. Reiki cannot cure things. It can alleviate symptoms for sure. So if you're trying out Reiki, continue to treat your illnesses. Reiki is not a cure-all, and anybody that insists Reiki is a cure-all is lying to you. So let's break down the word Reiki. Key is the second syllable of Reiki, and it is essential. Key is a universal life force energy. Since the UC Tibetan Reiki healing originated in Japan, Practitioners use qi when referring to this life force energy. Qi is the Chinese word for qi. Both qi and qi mean the same thing to my knowledge. Qi is the energy that animates everything. Qi flows through all your organs and keeps them functioning. When there are blockages in this energy or buildups of negative energy, it wreaks havoc in the body and can cause and add to illnesses. There are a few different ways to administer Reiki. One method is laying hands, which uses hand placements for Reiki for in-person clients. The hand placements start at the crown of the head and continue in a downward motion, ending with the feet. The second method is beaming. When I beam Reiki, I cup my hands together, think like a satellite dish, and I send Reiki to the client without touching them. This is excellent for working with distant clients who are not in person with me during the session. Beaming is also helpful when working with clients who have sensitivities to touch, 
and beaming is the standard when working on body areas that obviously shouldn't be touched, like areas near the root or the heart chakra. So Reiki healing and past life channeling have a ton of overlap. Studying Reiki healing has strengthened and refined my ability to channel past lives and to send healing energy to them. I've said channel several times throughout this episode, so let's define channeling. In this context, I define channeling as using my energetic body, which looks like a glowing white orb, while administering Reiki to view significant moments in clients' past lives. It's, I guess that's like astral projection. I'm not really sure how to word it. I'm mostly just doing it, so writing this episode was really difficult because I'm having to verbalize something that is like an action that I don't really think that much about when I'm doing it. So when I channel, my body is not taken over at all. It's not like channeling during a seance, which I would never attempt. When channeling past lives, I'm very much in control. I have boundaries over what I'm willing to see, and I establish my boundaries aloud after the opening prayer with which I begin each Reiki session. From there, various glimpses of past lives that I see will appear in my head like a movie or a memory with sound and intense emotion. I do not see these movies or glimpses with my physical eyes. I often close my eyes and see these images via clairvoyance. Sometimes my physical eyes do play a part in the Reiki session. Occasionally, I have seen objects in the room hovering above the person's translucent, energetic body or on their body with my physical eyes. For example, during one session, I saw a black snake crawl out of a client's ear and slither over to an object in the room. It was actually a drum set. I was doing a Reiki session and in their home, which I don't do very often. During 90-minute sessions, I've seen the outline of a client hovering about three feet in the air above their physical body. That's what I referred to a second ago called their energy body or energetic body. Anchoring their energetic body to their physical body at the end of each session is vital. When I see stuff like a client's energetic body, it freaked me out at first, and then intuitively I had to understand why I saw these images and interpret them. All right, moving forward. Let's talk about why past life channeling and healing from past incarnations is necessary. Like childhood trauma, past life trauma is valuable to heal from because it negatively impacts the soul. Trauma follows us around from lifetime to lifetime, and healing this trauma allows us to reach our fullest potential and to complete our life's plan. Unresolved trauma or repressed trauma from childhood and in past lives result in deep-rooted phobias and dysfunctions that seemingly have no logical origin. These phobias can stop one from pursuing one's dreams, completing their goals in this incarnation, and they can get hung up learning the same lessons over and over. My beliefs about this were shaped by reading books by Edgar Case, a renowned psychic and channeler from Hopkinsville, Kentucky. He was alive in 1877 through 1945. Another author I recommend that shaped my views is Ainsley McLeod. His book, The Instruction, which is a channeled book, taught me a ton about this topic. He has two additional channeled books called The Transformation and The Old Soul's Guidebook. I own all three of his books. A good deal of his work is stuff Edgar Case channeled first. 
the ideas are not original to McLeod. McLeod emphasizes the importance of soul-level healing, and his books include exercises and meditations that teach readers how to recall their past lives through getting in touch with their causal spirit guides. Oprah featured this book, The Instruction, in her book club. There was a Super Soul Conversation podcast episode about it if you want an accessible and free overview of the book. If you would like to read about past life recall and healing, I recommend starting there. Let's continue with some additional past lives that I've channeled. Here's one of Lily's incarnations. It is a death in the 1980s. Some folks believe that we take a long time to reincarnate or that you have to wait in between lifetimes to make peace with souls who hurt us after death. I don't think that. You can reincarnate at any time. It's up to each soul to decide how long they wait in between incarnations. I feel like some souls like to wait to watch over the people that were really close to them in their last incarnation. Like if a mother died before their two children that were young, she might choose to wait to like watch over them and help guide them and protect them if you have if you believe that you have that kind of ability after death. But some people think that like if you were murdered, you have to wait until the person that murdered you died so you can like resolve the trauma and kind of grow together and like get your apology and stuff like that. I don't think that. I think maybe sometimes that happens, but I think each soul can decide if that's important enough to them to not just reincarnate back to the physical plane. And when I say the physical plane, I mean Earth or potentially another planet. I don't think we are bound to keep reincarnating on the same planet or galaxy even, which is another really out there belief. Continuing. In my near-death experiences, there was no linear time. Everything was in the present moment. Time was very fluid. I assume that time works in the same way on the astral plane, even once one is entirely dead. Because when I was on the astral plane, it was near death, so I wasn't completely dead. I was just, I guess, dying. A bit about the process of channeling. In every Reiki session, there's an opening prayer. I've touched on it before, but I'll explain the importance of this practice further. Reiki practitioners can do the opening prayer before the client's arrival or once the client is there on the Reiki table. In the opening prayer, I ask my Reiki guides, ascended Reiki masters, my causal spirit guides, the client's causal spirit guides, if the client is comfortable with me calling in their guides, and angels. Most importantly, I call in God and sometimes Jesus in the opening prayer every time. For the rest of the episode, to be concise, I'll refer to all these beings or entities and God as they. So when I say like they showed me this, that's who I'm meaning is all of those fully enlightened beings and God. Now that only fully enlightened beings and God are present for the Reiki session, I frequently ask them to show me lifetimes that most impact or influence the client. When I start the session in prayer, I ask that question. Sometimes they show me traumatic deaths in very recent lifetimes. Sometimes I'm shown glimpses of lifetimes from centuries ago that still negatively impact the person today because they have not healed from the trauma of that lifetime. For example, I've channeled many incarnations in which the person felt powerless, and this lack of control over their life stifled their life's plan. In response to the general feeling of powerlessness or fear of powerlessness, they might have like control issues in this lifetime or the opposite. They could 
feel like they have no choice and everything just happens to them. It's more like a victim mentality. They don't have strong boundaries or stand up for themselves. Because in other lifetimes, they did not have that option. Like if there was a lifetime where they were in human bondage, you couldn't just stand up to the person that was enslaving you. Or if you did it, it could have resulted in your death and not completing your life's plan. Not that being in human bondage would facilitate in completing any kind of plan. It was, it's literally just like total powerlessness. Another reason for powerlessness is if their lives ended abruptly because they were murdered. And that is the case in what I assume to be the most recent incarnation of Lily since it took place in the 80s. I've channeled one of Lily's deaths during our Reiki session at Cherokee Park a few months ago. Also, it's really nice to do Reiki outside, but I feel like our vibe was so good that I kept having bugs crawl over to me, and I've never in my life so calmly removed a spider from my leg while trying not to disturb the client. If I was not in a Reiki session at that moment, I probably would have screamed. I don't really do bugs. (laughs) So in Lily's lifetime that I channeled in Cherokee Park, her death was gruesome and horrific. My guides told me that this took place outside of Seattle, Washington in the 1980s. When I asked my guides precisely where this murder occurred, they would not share that information with me. When I asked the name of Lily during that lifetime, they said, it doesn't matter. And I understood that what matters is the impact this glimpse of her death had on her soul. I think that my guides keep details from me sometimes so that I will focus on the memory and the feeling of this person during those moments and not end up spending 10 hours online trying to verify and fact check every detail. I think that takes away from the purpose of past life channeling and what I'm doing. Hopefully one day they'll give me information that I can use to validate something I channeled. I just feel like that would be really empowering to have like a name and date and something I can look up. Also, Nick always touches on that. How do you know if it's real if you can't verify it? Like there should be historical records of that. And it's like, I feel like the work that I'm doing is to help the person heal and reach their full potential and not have a bunch of trauma from like other messed up lifetimes. And when I channel past lives, it does not take that much effort to look at a lifetime that was like filled with abuse or like like literal slavery or just like a gruesome murder. There's just like all kinds of trauma. And I feel like historically, like everything was just worse and worse back then. Anyways, I'm getting sidetracked. So my guides offered me this glimpse as I placed my hands over Lily's knees. Knees are a common portal for past life information. So is over when I have hand placements on the top of their head or over their ears or on their arms sometimes. But knees are really powerful for past life information. I saw a woman frantically running through the woods. I'm unsure if she had been hiking or had recently escaped capture. They didn't show me anything besides her running. At first. In that incarnation, She was bruised and scraped from falling in the woods while running for her life. She had pieces of crunchy brown leaves in her hair from the forest floor. I felt the panic and dread she felt, knowing that she would die if she could not outrun whoever was chasing her. I saw a glimpse of a Caucasian man dressed in all black. He wore black, military-looking cargo pants and a long-sleeved shirt. At times, I could see this through her eyes, and her focus was shaky because she was running and looking in many different directions, but rarely behind her to know where the man was. 
I could also witness what happened from above. He was chasing her as fast as he could run. It was nothing like a horror movie in which the killer slowly strides, keeping up with the person they are hunting. I sensed his anger and determination to catch up to her. I felt the pain throughout her body and joints. Something like a twig or rocks were in her shoe between her hiking socks and the soles. They were deep in the woods at this point, with no hiking trails. I could not see any roads. Under an overcast gray sky, I saw some mud as if it had rained maybe one or two days prior, so the ground was soft. In that incarnation, the woman continued to run, and her chest felt constricted like she had no air left in her lungs. She finally collapsed. At that moment, he caught up to her and piled on top of her to keep her on the ground. She tried to fight him and scratch him, but he was taller and he weighed significantly more than her. She scratched him and screamed. Then they showed me how he strangled her. I got the sense that looking up at him, she had no idea who he was. And maybe he just picked her because she was alone in the woods and he saw a horrendous opportunity to kill again. I also got the sense that he was a serial killer and this was not his first victim. As he was on top of her, she was still fighting to free herself as he strangled her. He pulled out a knife and repeatedly stabbed her. He stabbed her at least 20 times. The ground was red with blood. I felt her pain dull as her soul left her body. There was a feeling of ease. And then her pain ceased completely. A semi-transparent, soft white form of her body leaped out of her physical body and she continued to run. Then she hid behind a nearby tree. Sometimes when people are dying, they briefly do not recognize their body after their soul leaves their body or themselves. Like they, they just, uh, there's a moment of like depersonalization where they don't recognize that person. It's also common in near-death experiences. Lily experienced this feeling of depersonalization. I heard her next thought. She thought, oh, that poor girl, and she wanted to help her for a split second. Then I listened to her translucent body, or her soul, gasp as she realized that girl was her. She watched him repeatedly stab her after she was dead. Appalled, her soul raced up into the treetops, and she sat on a limb as he watched her drag her physical body maybe 20 or 30 feet away to some nearby brush. He crudely buried her under many leaves and branches, taking time to make sure to cover her shoes so no part of her body was visible. He took one final look at what he had done, and he ran in the opposite direction. I'm guessing back towards the hiking trail or his car. That was the, that was the end of the glimpse of her death that I saw. I sent Reiki to that traumatic lifetime to help Lily move on in the present, and to help the person as she was dying to find like comfort and strength and peace. But I understood why my God showed me it. After our one hour session in the park, I told her about that death and she apologized that I had to witness that. I told her it was okay and I'm happy to channel things like that to help her soul rid itself of that trauma. Interestingly, in this lifetime, she's a yoga instructor and she focuses a lot on breath work. When what I channeled that day outside of Seattle, she felt utterly powerless, afraid, 
unable to move. Her body was super stiff and tense with fear, and she couldn't breathe during that death. So I think it's cool that a lot of her time now is spent like teaching yoga to others, teaching breath work, teaching how to relax and create more space in the body. I've also done a private yoga lesson with her, and she's incredible. All right, let's wrap up the episode. Thank you guys so much for tuning in to episode 10. I'm super happy that I made it 10 episodes. I've edited every single episode of this podcast alone. And I've also written scripts for like four of the episodes, which is a big deal because it takes me a long time to write. I have dyslexia and it's kind of annoying to try to write everything and articulate my thoughts, especially when I'm talking about like near-death experiences or past life channeling. I hope you found it cool. A lot of times on other podcasts, people will talk about past lives, but it's mostly like, I don't know, do they exist? Were we goats? Like, what happened? I've not channeled any lifetimes where people were animals the first time. So it's weird. So that's my experience. I hope you thought it was cool. I hope you also like the overlap between like other incarnations and this one. Lastly, I believe that each lifetime we get to pick talents and skills from other lifetimes. This is also outlined in Ainsley McLeod's book, The Instruction. And I think with those skills, like like how me and Nick are multi-instrumentalists, come trauma that are associated with those lifetimes. So to heal from that trauma is really powerful. And if you would like to do that, you can book a Reiki session with me at Reiki at gmail.com. It's H-A-L-O-Y. R-E-I-K-I at gmail.com. Just email me. We can set something up. I take Venmo. And I also have PayPal for business. Soon I'll have my website finished when I can afford to start that website up. I've been editing the website and offering like packages and stuff to help people save money. So I, I will share that website in a future episode. Also, my rates, so you don't have to bother looking it up. It's like a dollar a minute. So a 30-minute session would be $30. A 45-minute session would be $45. That's standard Reiki pricing. I do not charge extra for past life channeling. Ainsley McLeod, after his Oprah interview, charges $500 for a 50-minute phone call. But yeah, I try to make it affordable because I just want to help people facilitate healing. But also, I have bills, and I want to pay those. That's why I work 50-hour weeks. So I hope this helps somebody or shed some light. I'm thinking about doing the next episode on past lives as well, and I can just use stuff I've channeled. But there are a couple of books I would like to touch on, like Atlantis, which is Lifetime's Edgar Case channeled about incarnations people had in Atlantis. I thought everybody believed in Atlantis, but now I realize there's no scientific proof from it, and I think I just watched that Disney movie too many times. Also, the Atlantis animated movie slaps if you haven't seen it. Really cool. I wrote everything else but the outro, so you guys are experiencing my executive dysfunction. I don't know. But thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you next time on Hello from the Other Side. Nick may or may not be here for that episode. So we'll see. The theme music for this episode was written and recorded by Nick. Everything else is me. Literally everything else. The Instagram is me. The editing is me. All of it. Me.
Eventually, we can put episodes out more consistently if I can afford to pay audio engineers and stuff like that. But right now, the audio engineer is me. You're hearing them. All right. Thanks so much. We'll see you next time. And goodbye from the other side. Side, side, side. for real.